So y'all, that's, that's in the last year, that's just some of the things that y'all and us, we in our church have done. We are not, we are not going to be a church that's just hearers of the word. We're not. We're not. That is not what he calls us to do, to be in some holy huddle so we can be part of a secret club that nobody else gets to be in. That girl said that she's to worship the devil. Do y'all get that? That is why we do what we do. We are going to be a church that prays without ceasing for where God would lead us to be and for what God would lead us to do. It's not about us. It's not about the people. It is about the Lord and the change that He brings about. And so I just think that it's cool we put that stuff together that we are out in a lost world being the hands and feet of Christ, and that is what we're supposed to do. So this morning, um, you know, we are uh, landing the plane on this series that we've been in. For the last ten weeks, we've been building the foundations of, 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 of Christianity. We've been talking through all of the pillars of our faith, and we're going to land the plane today on prayer. We're going to end uh, this discussion that we've had on the idea that every Christian ought to know how to pray. And y'all, I didn't grow up praying. I had no idea what prayer was. I could chant some things in Hebrew, but I didn't even know what I was saying. But I could, the sounds would come out of my mouth. Um, I didn't know what prayer was. I didn't know how to pray. didn't know anything about it. And I was Jewish the first, I guess, probably 15 or so years of, of my marriage, of of Susan and, and my marriage, and <clears throat> it's funny because she's got a huge family, huge family, about 175 first cousins, massive family, very Christian family, always prayed, you know, before meals and so forth, and I didn't know anything about that, and whenever we would go to her family for Thanksgiving, I always was petrified that they would ask me to pray because I had no idea. Y'all ever feel that way? If so, this, you get in a circle and you're like, oh my gosh, Lord, you're saying, please don't let them ask me to pray. And so I used to feel that way all the time. And it made me think about, y'all watch this clip. Just watch this clip.
That is exactly how I saw it in my mind's eye playing out if, heaven forbid, one of her uncles or somebody asked me to pray. And that is, it's even y'all's reactions, the height of awkwardness. It just makes my neck hurt thinking about that. And so I had no idea how to pray, but then I learned. I got, I got saved, and, and I began to have a little bit of a prayer life by myself, just kind of talking with God, and I thought I'd learned a little bit how to pray. And, and I'm trying to teach my kids best way I can, teach my kids how to pray. Um, probably most of the time it came out like that, I don't know. But I'm trying to teach my kids how to, how to pray. And y'all, one night, I'm laying in the bed with one of my sons. It's about, he's about 10 years old. I'm not going to tell you which one. When I tell you what he said, you'll know which one, but... Um, but we're laying in the bed, we're reading the, you know, we're reading a little bit of the Bible and we finished and I said, it was time for me to, to go to sleep. He said, I said, I want you to pray. And I said, I want you to, um, I said, you need to pray for other people too. Don't just pray for yourself. You know, you need to think about others. You need to think about being in God's will and yada, yada. And, and, and so he said, well, I'm gonna pray for mama. I said, that'd be awesome. Pray for mama. And so you got a picture that y'all listen clearly to what I say, because this is what he said. So he gets down. And he's like this, he's, Lord, Lord, I, I, I pray for Mama. I want to pray for Mama tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would give Mama a smoking hot daughter-in-law. <laughs> now, what, what in the world do you do? What do you do with that? And if you know my sons, you know which one said that. But he, here's the deal. Today, and he really did say that, I reminded him this weekend, because we saw him, that he said that. And he said, I don't remember saying that. And I'm like, dude, you totally said it. But here's what we're going to do. Today we're going to be in our passage that we're kind of going to be focusing on. It's one little verse in 1 Thessalonians. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Thessalonica to, to encourage the believers in their faith, to, to encourage them to live godly lives, to assure these folks that, uh, that they're their friends and family that had passed on, that they were with the Lord for eternity. And Paul wrote this letter to, to, um, to guarantee to these people the integrity of his ministry as an apostle. And Thessalonica is present day, it's Thessaloniki in Greece. At the time, it was the capital of Roman Macedonia, and it was on an important trade route. And Paul had uh, visited Thessalonica on his second missionary journey he was forced to escape because there was a lot of Jewish opposition in that, in that area of, of Greece. And he had sent Timothy, we talked about Timothy last week, he had sent Timothy to, there to that church to, to work with those Gentiles, a predominantly Gentile Christian area, not a lot of, of, of Jewish Christians there. And so he sent Timothy there, and Timothy had sent word back to Paul that this group of believers were very strong in their faith. This is one of Paul's first letters, probably written around 50 A.D. Uh, and in chapter 5, in verse 17, he wrote two words. Two words, at least in English, he wrote two words. Pray continually. Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. And in that simple, very specific, but simple command, Paul is calling on me and you to basically pray as a way of life. It should be our way of life. Continual, consistent, persistent, incessant prayer is, a, is an integral part of, of a Christian's walk. And it always flows out of a dependence on God. And so I want us to understand uh, the, this principle of praying without ceasing. 
And while when you just read those words, you, you kind of have an understanding of what he is saying, but there's much more. And a good starting point, I think, is we're going we're gonna to look at two parables uh, that are in the book of Luke, chapter 11, a parable in chapter 11, and a parable in, uh, in chapter 18. And these are both parables of contrast, which are very different because most parables are not. Most parables are like God is like such and such, or the kingdom of God is like such and such. Jesus, these two, he's making a contrast. It's a very different way of thinking. And he gives this first one, which is in Luke 11, in the context of prayer. In fact, his disciples had come to him, and they said in Luke 11, in verse 1, his disciples say to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus responded to them in in some words that are probably very familiar to you. In verse 2, he starts and he says, when you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. So in verses 2 and verses 4 of Luke 11, he taught them what to say. He taught them basically the content of prayer. He said, when you pray, you are to honor God and hallow or revere, is really what that means, to revere his name. And you're to pray for those things that relate to his kingdom. You're to seek the daily provision that only he gives. You're to confess your sins and to seek his forgiveness. And then you're to ask him for his wisdom. Well, why do I want his wisdom? I want his wisdom so that I won't be led into temptation. And those are the component parts of prayer. Those are, that's the way to pray. What to say when you pray. And then in verse 5, the text says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to the friend at midnight, and you say, Friend, lend me three loaves of of bread, because a friend of mine that's on a journey has come to me, and, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside, the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. And you've got to remember in those days, context, when it was cold outside, the whole family got in the same bed to stay warm, and they were all tucked in, and they were snuggled down in the bed, and it was midnight. And this wasn't a time at all to get out of the bed and be giving somebody some bread. And then in verse 8, the text says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, because of your persistence, because of your perseverance, because of your doggedness, because of your relentlessness, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. In other words, he would not get up. What he he wouldn't do for friendship, he'll do for sleep. Because this guy's not going away until the guy gives him some bread. And so what Jesus is saying here is that a man whose friendship won't allow him to make this sacrifice, this gesture of sacrifice... He's finally going to get up because the guy won't stop irritating him until he has no choice but to get up. This, Jesus is saying, should teach us about the benefits of of persistence, of perseverance. But the point that he's really trying to make is that when you consider how unlike 
the reluctant friend. We're going to call this guy a reluctant friend because he reluctantly is going to give him some bread. How unlike Jesus is to that reluctant, uh, from that reluctant friend, that parable becomes all the more striking because if a, if a reluctant friend will do something just because you are persistent, just because you won't stop, just imagine, y'all, what a God who's not reluctant. Y'all think God is reluctant? No, he's not. So think about what a God who's not reluctant will do if you're persistent. And Jesus goes on in verse 11 to talk about uh, a father who, if he's asked asked for a fish, he's not going to give the kid a snake, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he's not going to give the kid a scorpion. In other words, an earthly father is not going to give something to his kid that's going to harm him. An earthly father is going to hear in fact, the earthly father is going to be listening for the cries of his child's heart. And then in verse 13, he says, If you then, though you are evil, and that's kind of the point, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven, who's not evil, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is so different, y'all. God responds to persistence. If an unfaithful friend, a reluctant friend, an unsympathetic friend, a friend that has no mercy, a friend that shows no grace, will, because of your persistent asking, your relentlessness, if he'll respond, what do you think that a God who is loving and gracious and merciful and compassionate and tenderhearted, what is he going to do if you're persistent? Praying without ceasing moves the hand of God. Now, Jesus first told them kind of what to say and how to pray, and then he's saying to them, keep saying it. Keep being persistent, because God, who is loving and merciful, will hear and he'll respond. And then in Luke 18, there's another parable that follows kind of the same contrasting style. And in verse 1 of Luke 18, Jesus again is asking for prayer. And he's teaching them about asking for prayer. And he's telling them this parable that they ought to, at all times, be praying. That they should not ever lose heart, he says. And if you don't get an immediate answer, and y'all, the answer to prayer is either yes or no or wait. That's the answers to prayer, yes or no or wait. And so if things aren't exactly the way you want them to be, if, if things don't turn around as quickly as you might have planned, He's saying, don't lose heart, don't give up, keep on praying. You need to pray at all times, incessantly, continually, and without ceasing. And to illustrate this, he says in verse 2, Luke 18, verse 2, he says, In a certain town there's a judge. This judge neither feared God nor cared what people thought. You'll have to figure out how he became a judge, but nonetheless, he did. In verse 3, he says, And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him, this judge, with this plea. And this plea was, grant me justice against my adversary. Apparently somebody was doing something, trying to rip away this meager existence that this little lady had, and she was pleading for justice from the court of this judge. And then verse 4 says, for some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or I don't give a toot what, what, what people think, 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't come and attack me. The woman is a pain. And so he's saying what I won't do for love of God and what I won't do for love of humanity, I will absolutely do for my own peace of mind. He's saying I can't handle this constant badgering. And then in verse 6, the parable says, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So God is so different than the unjust judge. God is so different than the reluctant friend. But if a reluctant friend and an unjust judge will do what is asked because of continual pleading, then certainly a compassionate, loving, gracious Kind, tender-hearted God will do more. The point is he will do more. And so Jesus is saying, in effect, pray. He says, pray like this. Pray persistently. Pray consistently. Pray all the time. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. We give up. Y'all, we give up too easy. We, want, we live in an instant gratification society. We're supposed to say, God, I need this, and Bam, it happens. That is not what the text says. Yes, no, and wait. That's the answers that we get. And he tells us, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep knocking. Keep asking. Keep seeking. And a good, compassionate, loving, graceful, merciful Lord your God, he will hear and he will answer. And some people are going to imagine that parables like these two fly in the face of other stuff that Jesus taught, like Matthew chapter 6. He said something that on the surface may, may seem contradictory, but it needs to be understood in context. And in verse 7 and 8 of Matthew 6, here's what he says. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So you may say that sounds contradictory. Isn't He saying, don't be repetitious in your praying? No, He's not saying that. He's saying, don't be meaninglessly repetitious. Write that down. Don't be meaninglessly repetitious. Verse 7 says, babbling like pagans. What is meaninglessly repetitious? What does that mean? It's the kind of prayers the pagans pray. That's exactly what it means. They suppose they'll be heard for all these many words, all this babbling that they do. In other words, isn't their God, with a little g, God, that, that God doesn't care about their heart? That, that, that God, it isn't that that God understands compassion and passion and, and, and the desires of their heart. It's that there is some formula they have, some some ritual, some ceremonial chant, some mantra, some something or the other, some sequence of beads that they wrap around their hand a certain way, or some leather straps that they wrap around their arm in a certain way. Like all of that is going to incent or somehow make their little G God do something that he doesn't want to do. You wouldn't talk to your daddy like that. You wouldn't. You would crawl up into your daddy's lap, and you would put your arm around him, and he would put his arm around you. You wouldn't stand there and start chanting to daddy. 
your dad, you would, you would, your, your heart would plead to your dad. That is, that is what Jesus is saying. And let me show you, let me just show you sort of how, how, this, how Jesus prayed. This is Matthew, excuse me, this is Mark chapter 14. And let me set the setup where this is, context. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's just after the Last Supper, evening of the Last Supper. It's when Jesus is going to be arrested. You think he didn't know that he was going to be arrested? He didn't sneak up on him. I know I say that all the time. But you, it makes what he did like almost so much more meaningful because it was willingly done. And so this is just on the heels of the Last Supper that night. They're in the Garden, the garden of Gethsemane. And this is in Mark chapter 4, excuse me, 14, starting in verse 32. It says they went to a place called Gethsemane. It's a garden. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter and James and John's, Peter and James and John, that was like his executive board. He took them along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled, the text says. Jesus, it says, my soul, this is him talking, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch, which they didn't do, but he told them, stay here and keep watch. And going a little further, he went on a little further into the garden alone, and he fell to the ground. Now think about this. Picture this in your mind's eye. He's on the ground. He left his guys back there. He knows he's going to be arrested, and his guys are back there. He thinks keeping watch. And here's what he says. He says, if if possible the hour might pass from him. And then he says in verse 36, Abba, Father. Now look, Abba is Daddy. Abba is the language of the day for Daddy. He, did, he, wouldn't stand, he wasn't kneeling down saying, Father. He was kneeling down. He, would, he was in the arms of the Father. He was sitting on the Father's lap, and he's, the cries of his heart, he says, Daddy, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. He's saying, look, I know what's going to happen. And if there's any other way, Daddy, that we can do this whole thing, let's figure out another way to do it. But then he says some amazing words. On the heels of saying, take this cup from me, he says, not yet, yet not what I will, but what you will. It's about the will of God. Our prayers are about the will of God, not about my will. I pray all the time, the Lord, let my will be inside of your will. That's part, a major component of our prayers. We need to stay inside of God's will. And so in this passage, Jesus is saying simply to them, don't pray that way. Don't use a bunch of empty words that you've memorized. They're just memorized words. He's not forbidding meaningful repetition. Write that one down too. He's not forbidding meaningful repetition. He's not forbidding the pleas of your heart. He wants the pleas of your heart. He wants you just to talk to him the way that you would talk to your daddy. He's forbidding meaningless ritual and heartless babble that just vomits out of your mouth and assume that God is going to be responding because of all these fancy words that you say. My fear all the time, when if, I, if Susan's family was going to ask me to pray, the fear was, I don't know what to say, and I don't know all the vows and the therefores and all that fancy King James language. I don't know that stuff. 
That's not what God wants to hear. He wants to hear what you need in his lap with your arm around him and his arm around you, what it is that you need. And so Paul is saying here, pray without ceasing, pray continually. It's not in disagreement with Jesus. He's supporting the principle that's taught in in Luke 11 and in Luke 18 that prayer is to be incessant. We're not heard because we go on and on. We're heard for the cries of our heart. God hears the cries of our heart. The man came to the friend's house and he needed bread. He didn't pray some formula prayer. He didn't pray some ritual. He pleaded for what it is that he needed. The widow that came to the judge, she didn't offer to the judge some some chance and some mantra or some ritualistic prayer. The woman poured her heart out. Hear this now. She poured her heart out for protection from the one that could protect her. That is what God wants. He will protect us. We need to be crying out to him for that. Now, if you look at our text in in 1 Thessalonians again, you see that this verse 17 is kind of a companion to verse 16. Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Verse 17 says pray always. Really, they're partners in the spiritual life, and they have a beautiful balance between them. The true believer all throughout a Christian's life feels his insufficiency. I feel it every day of my life. My own personal insufficiency. Which is not a self-esteem problem, y'all. I feel insufficient. And so a a believer is going to be in total dependence on God. And as long as you have this feeling of insufficiency and you feel your dependence on God, on some level you're probably going to be praying without ceasing. And at the same time that you're feeling insufficient and dependent, you also know that you're the beneficiary of of unbelievable blessing from God. So on one hand, you're praying in dependency, in total dependency, and, and, and on the other hand, you're rejoicing because God is pouring out blessing in our unceasing prayer. He's pouring out blessing in answer to our unceasing prayer. If I, as a Christian, if I, as a Christian, live in a continuous state of personal insufficiency, a continuous state of recognizing my dependency on God. If I live continually thankful for what he does, big things and little things and sometimes even seemingly meaningless things, but I live in, a, in being cons- constantly thankful for that. If I'm continually repentant over my sin, which I need to be every day, if I'm continually expressing my love for other people, That is all going to flow out in unspoken prayer to God. And it's also going to cause God to open the floodgates of blessing which will result in my joyful response. You begin to see a cycle. And so we're not just to rejoice always, but we are to follow always. Follow the path that leads to that rejoicing. The path that leads to the rejoicing is unceasing prayer, which results in blessing which results in joy, which results in unceasing prayer. That is a cycle. And it's like one of the most beautiful cycles that you could ever imagine. So then how does this verse 17, how does that fit into the whole context of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians? Paul, he's closing out this letter to the the church at Thessalonica, y'all. 
And in chapter 5, it's kind of his final instructions to them. And he, he says a few different things. And it's a very encouraging letter. He says, acknowledge those who work hard among you. He says, hold them in the highest regard because of the, their love and, and what they, the way they work for you. He tells them, y'all need to live in peace with each other. He says, make sure nobody pays each other back with wrong. Strive to do what is good. And, and then, <clears throat> and he want, he's trying to help set this church up on the right course for the future. And it's a good church. It's like our church. It's a great church. It's a noble church like we are. It's a spiritual church like we are. But, but he wants to remind them about how to grow into a healthy Mature church. It's a young church, much like we are. It's a baby church, much like we are. And he's got a growth plan for them, much like he has for us. And then in verses 12 and 13, he says, Growing into a healthy body of believers, it involves right relationships between the shepherds and the sheep and the sheep and the shepherds. Verses 14 and 15, Growing into a healthy body of believers demanded right relationships between the sheep and the sheep. And then here in verses 16 through 22, a healthy body of believers demands more than anything a right relationship between the sheep and the great shepherd. So a church, any church, is made up of those relationships. The people to the people. The people to the leadership. The leadership to the people and at the end of the day, most importantly of all, the people to God. And no church, no ch- I don't care who they are, no church can ever rise above the level of the spiritual life of its own people. Y'all, more than anything, we need to be a praying people. We need to be a praying people. We can do this and we can do that and we can say this and we can say that. Overwhelmingly laid across the top of everything is that we need to be a praying people. We need to together be praying where God is leading us. We need to be together praying from a mission perspective. Where are we going and what are we going to do? That is the timeless principle. Last week we talked about pulling timeless principles out of the text. The timeless principle is we need to be praying. We need to be praying in a prayer closet. We need to be praying with our wives. We need to be praying with, with our friends. We need to be praying with our children. And y'all, we need to be praying t- together. That's why I said a week or two ago, pray for our country. What would it be like if the people in every church, in every city... On, on the planet, all prayed for the peace of our nation. I mean, what would that look like? If we all crawled up into the lap of daddy and we prayed for our country and for the streets of our city and every city, uh, every city in, our, in our country, and then we need to always be rejoicing and always be praying and in communion with him, that's how you all and I keep our relationship what it ought to be. That is essential for a growing church. It's essential for a healthy church. And if we're going to be a healthy church, we need to be praying continually. And we need to constantly be tapping in 
to the Lord, we need to constantly knock on the door. We need to constantly seek the loaves of bread. We need to constantly be on our knees at the foot of the judge, pleading our case before him that he'll resolve it uh, with justice and with equity. We've got to be in front of the Lord on behalf of other people. We've got to be on, uh, in front of the Lord on behalf of ourselves. And by doing all of that, we'll release the greatness of the power and the blessings of God. And look, every single thing that we talked about today as it relates to, to prayer, all of that requires a relationship with God. You cannot call Him Abba if He's not Daddy. Who's your Daddy? You can't, you don't have that relationship with Him to call Him Abba if if he has not adopted you. Today is adoption day. If you don't have that relationship with the Lord, he wants it so bad. He wants to call you to call you his child. He wants so bad for you to crawl up in his lap and call him daddy. And that prayer life, that that communion with him, that connection with him, the uh, uh, your availability to, to talk with Him and to speak with Him and to love on Him and for Him to love on you, it requires a father-child relationship. And you know what? It is available all the time. It's available right now. And so I'm telling you, if you don't have that relationship, the, the text of the Bible and, and the words are, it's not some big complicated ritualistic formula. You don't have to put a prayer shawl on and wrap your arms up a certain way and face to the east or the west or the south and bob your head. It doesn't take all that, y'all. It doesn't take fancy words and being able to, to recite some whatever. All it is is a confession with your mouth and a belief in your heart. And bam, you went from lost to found. You Bam, you went from not a child of God to a child of God. Bam, you went from I don't have a father-son relationship with him to now I can call him daddy. That is the most beautiful thing ever on the planet when you can say that. And then he's there for you. And he's loving on you. And and he's going to answer those prayers. And the answer to every prayer is not yes. You understand that too. Don't set yourself up for failure. Yes, no, or wait. That's what it is. So I'm telling you, look, if that happened to you today, if that relationship was birthed, today, then I, uh, then I want you to, to uh, I want all of us to bow our heads and I want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, today is the day where that happened. Today is my adoption day. I can mark it on my calendar. Today is the day that you adopted me and I became your son and you became my father. And so Lord, I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so here's the deal. If that happened to you, I want you to write that on that connection card and I want you to take that connection card out there to the connections desk, let us know today was your day. Today I got saved. And if that happened, I want you to get baptized. The next one is on the 18th of November. We want to do that. It's an obedience thing. doesn't save you, but it's an obedience thing. You get saved, you get baptized. If you have any prayer concerns, we've got a, uh, a uh, prayer team that are going to be after the worship service back in that corner. And they're back there to pray with you and pray for you and whatever it is that you need. And so I want to call our, we come to this time in our service right now where we, uh, we're going to give back to the Lord what is all His anyway. Um, we come to a time of offering. 
And then we're going to finish up with a worship song, and I want to pray over our offering. And look, from an offering perspective, he, he tells us to give. He tells us to be generous throughout the text of the Bible. And so those of us that call my church home, all of those things that you saw on the screen before the worship service, all of that stuff takes resources. And so we want to be good as a church. We want to be good stewards of the resources that, that the people that call this home, we want to be good, resor- uh, good stewards of, of those resources. And so let me pray over our offering, and then we'll, we'll jump back into worship. Lord, we thank you uh, for everything that you do for us, big, small, little, humongous, whatever it may be. Lord, all of, uh, all of what we have is because of you. In fact, all of it is yours. We're just thankful that we get to keep a little bit of it. And so, Lord, I pray over the gifts and the offerings that we're going to receive today, and I trust, Lord, that you're going to take it, and you're going to double it and triple it, and you're going to allow us the privilege of using that to lead people back to you. And that also is a beautiful cycle. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.